You are listening to Connecting Minds, the Student Mental Health Podcast, brought to you by the Union of Students in Ireland. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Connecting Minds. I'm your host, Sarah Hughes. I'm delighted to be introducing you today to Tressa Fox, Head of the Student Counselling Service in Tooth Midlands and Spokesperson for the Psychological Counselors of Higher Education in Ireland, or PSHE for short, as well as being the lead author on the National Student Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Framework. Thanks very much for joining us today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks very much for the invitation to chat to you. No bother at all. So, as I mentioned there, you're the lead author on the National Student Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Framework, which was launched into the public realm in October 2020. Um, I think it's it's a really key piece of, of documentation for student mental health in the third level sector. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what, what, what it's all about and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Sorry. So um, in 2018, the Higher Education Authority formed a group called the Connecting for Life group in order to advance its commitments under the Connecting for Life uh, Suicide Reduction Strategy for Ireland. Um, so uh, in 2019, then, um, I joined uh, with two other, other fantastic uh, colleagues in, in joining the, the three-set work pack, uh, three-set research project led by Deirdre Flynn in, in TCD. So uh, work package one is led by Barbara Dooley in UCD looking at um, a national data set for student counselling services. Work package two is led by myself, and within that, what we stated we would do was assist the HTA in meeting some of their commitments in, in Connecting for Life. And, and the primary one was about scoping out practices in higher education um, settings in Ireland to see to identify good practices and then identify where there were gaps and how those gaps could be addressed. And then you're familiar with work package three with uh, uh, Ralph Armstrong in uh, TCD. Uh, who's leading out on a, on a, a designing a, a peer-led transition program for students? So, so that's how we became involved. I suppose we were we were attending those meetings, and we had, I suppose, at that stage, six months into the project, done a considerable amount of research into what was happening internationally. Uh, where where was the guidance or or sectoral level guidance um, internationally? And we discovered that you know there was some quite quite good guidance in the UK, for instance, and in the US. But that, you know, Australia were only beginning to look at and Canada were only beginning to look at sectoral level, national level, um, coordinated guidance for how uh, student mental health and suicide prevention should be addressed in higher education. Um, so at that point, uh, we were asked if we would draft um, and start working with the group, the Connecting for Life group, in developing that guidance. Um, and there was a subgroup within that group. Um, which involved uh, Sarah Woods from NOSP and uh, USI Welfare at the time, and ourselves um, in terms of really, you know, really, I suppose bringing it home, you know, bringing it to to a really fine point of what was the guidance that we were given within that. So um, yeah, what we landed on, I suppose, was were nine key themes um, for for student mental health and suicide prevention. And can I just say at that point, Sarah, the reason that it, became not just focused on suicide prevention is that you know we're aware that an awful lot of the interventions can happen or should happen a lot more upstream for people so really that there should be you know possibilities for support intervention um you know in, in care for mental health you know at much more upstream levels than just getting to the point of suicide suicidal risk 
so that's why it became broadened from suicidal risk to to mental health um generally so the, the nine themes um first one is lead uh, and that is speaks directly to i suppose leadership uh, at a sector level in a big way at a sector level and and thankfully we have that with that connecting for life uh, working group and that its work continues i suppose in terms of monitoring implementation of the framework and monitoring how it's funded etc cetera, etc cetera, and evaluating things um, and also leadership on a campus level so that there has to be very strong champions um at senior management level within the campuses to to drive the student mental health and suicide prevention agenda um collaboration is key collaboration cross campus it's, it's a whole campus approach it's, it's everybody's got a role to play here um, and the collaborations are again with um, external partners, so it could be your local um, mental health providers, uh, local HSC services, um, as well as collaboration across campus. Um, then educate is about you know making sure that your your total campus community have, have knowledge and working knowledge and applied knowledge in terms of what what mental health is, what mental health what mental ill health looks like. Um, and how to to recognise symptoms of distress and signs of distress, etc. Uh, engagement, student engagement is critical in this in a student's journey. If they don't feel connected to their campus, if they don't feel connected to that community, um, they do tend to have poorer mental health. Um, and and so to provide, I suppose, all of the opportunities possible for students to feel connected and engaged with their campus and their college. Um, and then after that, it's identify, making sure your all of your campus community, as wide as possible, um, are skilled and trained in, in identifying and then signposting and directing students to where they, they can get the appropriate level of care and support. Um, and, and part of that um, identify would be, I suppose, the, with the student union officers. You know, the student union officers are, are a key part of that that point they're identifying the next one support uh, their role is very very clear in terms of having to do that identification and signposting but also offering a layer of support there to students um, in relation to their mental health um, respond responding I suppose to incidents that happen on campus and responding to you know um, sudden deaths etc etc that, that there needs to be clear policies and clear uh, modes of responding um, to, to different events that may happen on campus that can cause uh, issues like trauma um, and like depression, anxiety. Um, and then we move into, you know, being aware of the transitions and the transitions are not just entry to college. The transitions are also second, first year to second year and then second year to third year. But transitions out of college can be quite challenging for people. If you've been four years in, an, in, a, in a university and, and then you're thinking about life beyond it and outside of it and I'm thinking about all the stresses on, on young people now and students you know in terms of accommodation where am I going to live you know am I limited in where I can get work because of where I'm going to live or being able to finance that all of those stresses and strains um, that become very real issues for students in their final years um, and transition and improve at the final sorry to improve at the final one which is you know gathering data baseline data and then looking at you know, in a year's time, what have we done? What have we improved in terms of provision for of student mental health um, and suicide prevention interventions? Yeah, I think one thing that has struck me all along is how how comp comprehensive this document is. Um, 
I think, you know, you and I have, have discussed it at many times, you know, that idea of the whole campus approach. And um, so it's not just through the mental health services within the campus. It's not just through the professional services within the campus. Um, I think from a USI perspective, it was really hurting that from the get go, the student voice was really important in developing this document. We were consulted and involved at every single level. Um, and I think, yeah, the the kind of revision that we made early on for it to go from suicide prevention to mental health on suicide prevention and um, is what will make this a success i think in the long term um and i will say just for for anybody listening we will link to the the um, overall document if you want to have a, a deeper read through it um and i think just to talk a little bit about the connecting for life working group that is something that is still ongoing and we haven't you know, we haven't wrapped up there that we've published the document and and we are focusing on on kind of overseeing the the rollout of an implementation of this on campuses. Wouldn't I be right in saying that? Absolutely. You know what? I'm 27 years in in student counselling and I have to say, I suppose my experience is so much it has happened in the last three or four years in the student mental health space. And, And I think to credit the HEA, um, and HSE and NOSP for, for, for that happening. There's, you know, I think bringing all those people into a room, Sarah, physically, when we were allowed to do that back in 2019, and hopefully we'll be doing that again, but the meeting that went on and it happened um, over Zoom over the pandemic, it, it, it got us away from this ball hop, because there used to be a ball hop around student mental health between health and education. You know, the ball hop is like, no, well, mental health, that's, that's a health issue, that's a health responsibility, that should be with the HSE. And maybe the health was hopping back and saying, well, no, what's happening within ed- education, so that's an education issue. And actually, the most um, amazing thing, I think, for me, is that in that room, in that HGA Connecting for Life working group, um, in that Zoom or room, it, it's everybody, it's together, it's education and health. It's no longer this binary thing of either or. Um, and I think there's been, been an acceptance of that. And you know what? Some really excellent stuff has flown, flowed from that, from those collaborations. And, you know, the people involved, I suppose, they're really interested in collaborating. They're really interested in, in, in connecting services and, and connecting charities together. And, you know, from that, another example is one of the implementations of, um, from the, the framework was, uh, in terms of support, was, was a, a sectoral keyword partnership with the Tech Support Service 50808. And that came from that group that was, you know, um, again, Sarah made connecting the dots and, and saying, well, this would be a really good person for you to talk to. And we were able to action that and roll that out. So, so um, the institutions encouraged their students and staff to use the keyword um, to begin a conversation with a volunteer to text 50808. So in our case, it'd be text TOOS to 50808. Uh, and, and then the really useful thing for us then is at the end of the year, we can get high level data back to the counselling service to say these were the, the, the references that, you know, the mentions that students made or that people made using your keyword, you know, and, and I, you know, we can see that, okay, academic life is features in there, but suicide and suicidal risk features in there quite, quite frequently. So, so it's that sort of connecting people. It really is a connecting group. Actually, if you look at the title and look at, um, and, and I've seen just so much positive stuff happening in that space in the last couple of years. I don't know if we were talking about when, when you started um, and how, how much has happened, I think, from 2019, let's say. You, you would have witnessed an awful lot of those changes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think for me as well, I mean, there there are connections at all levels within this, this Connecting for Life group and within the, the framework. Like for me, connecting what was already been done out there in the world. So we didn't reinvent the wheel. We looked at what was working. But then we also didn't take that and kind of try and fit that circular stuff into the square hole of the Irish context. And one thing that I really love about how how the document is set out as well is it lets each each university or each campus adapt it to how it fits. So if they've already got stuff going on that's working, we're not saying stop what you're doing and do things this way. It's really very flexible and very adaptable. And I think those are the things that are the, the kind of the key elements that have come out of this, the adaptability, the flexibility, the breaking down of silos, forming connections. And what it's done really overall is put the student and the student mental health needs at the very centre. That's been the core focus of everybody from day one, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the student voice. You know, it would have been a pointless exercise if we hadn't had USI and the student voice really centrally in there because, you know, after all, who is this for and who is it, who is it about? <laughs> so I suppose that was a no-brainer that, that, that you were going to be central in it. Um, you're absolutely correct in saying that it, it was it, it was written in a way that it, it allowed for um, local contexts to be considered because, you know, you, you, no two universities are the same in Ireland. You know, it's a very small country, but but you know, there's so so many differences in relation to the universities and how they operate and how their services are and how they're interlinked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we had to leave it broad enough that it that everybody could see themselves in it somewhere under those teams, um, and we had to make sure not to be terribly prescriptive because what works in one large university in an urban area um, is is absolutely not what might work in a, a you know a more rural um, institute of technology. In a, in a more rural area, so so we had to stay, we had to keep it um, focused enough that it made sense, but um, uh, adaptable enough that it could be across settings. Yeah, absolutely. And so we the, the documents have been around for a while. Obviously, things have been a bit slower to kind of be to take effect because of of the effects of the pandemic and moving back to from online to in person and all that goes with that. But in terms of what are the next steps in terms of rolling that out in colleges, do you reckon? Um, well, I suppose one thing I suppose to speak to is, is I, I'm, I'm really pleased to see the commitment at, at a sectoral level, at HEA level. Um, they've been they've been supporting some national rollouts of things, you know. And and what we have discovered, I suppose, through through a couple of different implementations, is there's economies of scale that we can do in Ireland because we're small. So for instance, we had the, the collaborative assessment and training. Um, collaborative assessment management of suicidality training for uh, counselling staff. So we have two, 239 um, counselling service staff across the institutions take that very specialised training. And, and the reason that was selected as a recommendation is because it was developed, it, it was born and evolved in a, in a university counselling service um, context in the US. So it, it was a nice fit. It's something that fit on top of, I consider on top of, you, no matter what your theoretical orientation was, it can sit on top of that. So, so that rollout um, nationally, um, you know, that when we saw that that was possible, I suppose the HTA supported us and been able to roll out some other things at a sectoral level. So that leadership has been there and that's been really, really helpful. Um, yeah, the bloody pandemic, I suppose it has slowed things down. You know, okay, certain things are great, certain things are more accessible by being on Zoom. 
but also I was at an in-person um, PC exec meeting, planning meeting there about two weeks, three weeks ago. And there's no doubt about it. It was the first in-person meeting of, of the PC executive about two years. But you get so much done and you get so much from each other's energy. I think when you're in a room together and making doing these plans, um, I think that may be one of the reasons that, that things are slowed down in terms of developing mental health and suicide prevention strategies, for instance, on campuses. Um, I think, you know, getting resources. The resources, like this can't be on top of somebody's already busy job. There has to be somebody who will lead out on these things on campuses. It's the same as the consent framework. We can't land it on top of somebody else and say, right, this is your task on top of your day-to-day -day work. Um, so, you know, at times it's been very slow trying to identify those resources and trying to get those resources in place. And sometimes if the, the, the funding is short-term funding, it's very hard to attract qualified, interested, um, and retain qualified people in those roles. So, you know, progress is slow in ways, but also we've been able to drive ahead in, in, cer in certain ways, certainly at the sectoral level stuff, we've been able to, to, to move along with that. And I think particularly with regards to funding, one of the things that this strategy enables, you know, at a wider level, but also at local level, is to have sort of a, a blueprint as to what things funding might be needed for or might go towards in a more clear way than we've ever had before. Absolutely. Um, you're absolutely right. It's public money. So we have to be accountable for it. So one of the things that it has led itself to is with additional funding, mental health funding over the last couple of years that we've got under each of those themes, we have to account for how that money was spent. Now, again, as we said, what's going on in one university might be different to what's going on in a small IOT over here. Um, nevertheless, you know, what did you spend the money on? under let's say support did you look at you know um, online digital interventions or did you bring in more counselors and what does that mean in real terms were you able to reduce waiting times you know tell us where it went to and whatever and that also speaks to the improve um theme that you know we are looking at um collecting data and been able to demonstrate what extras were done with the funding absolutely and so this might be a bit of a, an abstract question that I appreciate there might not be an answer to um, in a clear way yet. But for students on the ground, would you have any advice in terms of how they can engage with this as it's rolling out on their campuses? Um, I think absolutely. I think, you know, what's great to hear is I do think that there's quite a number of kind of, you know, mental health groups within on campuses <coughs> that are student led. Um, and I think the first stop shop is your welfare officer. Go to your US or your SU welfare officer and, and start talking, having conversations about, well, you know, what's happening on our campus in relation to this? You know, we want this to be kind of a coordinated uh, with the student voice central to it. And is there a way that we can start mobilizing this? You know, what needs to happen? Does it need that resource that we mentioned a few minutes ago to really drive this and drive the implementation? Um, and really, really effective if it comes from from students themselves, if it comes from bottom up, as as something that. So I know that there's, there's a lot of kind of activist groups around student mental health across campuses, um, and that that would be place to start. Go to your go to your SU and, and start talking about how, how can we kick this off, how can we get it happening. Absolutely, because I think the key the key thing that we've we've discussed at every iteration of this is that it needs to involve students throughout it, not just in the developmentation or the development of a document, but in the rollout and making sure that it, it you know, 
reaches the student that needs to reach and, and benefits everybody on campus. I think the other thing is um, a really critical part of the conversation is, you know, and, and when you're doing implementation, um, you know, that students need to be consulted on various different things. Like if you're if you're bringing in a particular digital technology uh, that you think will support students, you know, you need to, to bring the students into the room. You need them to view it. You need them to, to, to test it and say, right, this is acceptable to me or it's not acceptable to me or, you know, I'd like something different. That's, you're going the wrong path entirely for me. Um, or I get more use out of a different sort of technology um, and, and that the one I have is already fine. So um, I think that the priority areas, because we, look, we won't be able to do all of the actions that we want to do under each of the themes. Um, I think when, at the last meeting we were discussing picking maybe one or two that you focus in on in a particular year and that that might be all the resource you have. But, you know, pick those one or two and have your students sit in the room, stand beside you in terms of delivering out on those. And let's hear from the students what you want. Here's an array of five things. What what do you want us to focus on? Yeah, I think that would be a really fantastic idea. Um, and that leads me nicely to to my my final two questions that I ask all of the guests that come onto our podcast. And um, because the first one is, if there was one one thing that you wish anybody, any student listening, would know about mental health or would take away from this episode, what would it be? Ooh, yeah. So. Filter it all down to one. Um, I think when we're talking about, I suppose we've been talking about suicide risk and suicide prevention, the one key thing I would like all students to know is this too shall pass. This this moment that you're in, or this period that you're in, nothing stays the same, nothing lasts forever. So this period that you might be in that's really, really difficult right now, just know it will pass. It, it, it doesn't stay static and it doesn't stay the same. Um, so yeah, that would be it. This too shall pass. I think that's a really good good tidbit of information. I think especially because when you're in that space, I know it can definitely feel like it's never ending, and mm -hmm. there is no end in sight. Um, but yeah, all things are are ever changing. Good things and bad things. Yeah, so, transient. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then our second, the second question I ask all of our guests is. For yourself, what would be your kind of your favorite or your main act of self-care that you would tend to engage in? Yeah, um, God almighty, uh, with, with, with the COVID and kids with COVID and all that sort of thing, there has to be a whole lot of that going on. Um, I'm coming into my, my, my favorite time of the year, which is springtime. I do a lot of pottering around the garden. I do a lot of pottering with clay and clay in my hands and... Um, yeah, that that outdoors and 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 you know just watching things grow and getting the kids involved with growing things and and that so pottering around the garden um and then in winter, um what do I do? You I do online shopping, um and then don't click the button to check out. <laughs> Absolutely, a bit of online window shopping. Um, yeah. But I think I think what you you kind of briefly touched on there at the start is really good that you know. Self-care is situational. It depends on what else is going on in your life. Like, yeah, it would be lovely if we could all have like spa days and bubble baths and long, you know, slow walks for hours on end. And sometimes that's not always realistic. So whatever you can do in the situation that you're in is, is kind of key, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, COVID has made things more, more challenging and more difficult and more complicated. And, you know, I think, you know, self-care can be something as simple as, you know, a cup of coffee and standing in the sun. I'm just feeling the sun in my head there. 
it can be moments it's just in the moment and and maybe not something that's scheduled but just something where where you acknowledge a kindness to yourself and it, it might only be for two three minutes that's self-care i like that yeah i like that that it, it you know short and sweet but it still counts yeah well listen Trasha, thanks very much again for for coming on to chat to us i really enjoyed our chat as as i do all our chats Sarah, thanks so much for having me. And same as you know, we do speak quite a, quite frequently, and it's great. And we always kind of, I think, energize each other too, um, which is which is lovely. Certainly, I feel it um, after chatting with you. So thanks so much for having me today. No problem at all. So thank you for listening to today's episode. Connecting Minds is made possible thanks to funding from the National Office for Suicide Prevention. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, the podcast, or the work that USI are doing on student mental health, please feel free to contact us. Details of how to do so are available in the show notes. Sources of support are also included in the show notes. Please reach out for help if you are struggling in any way with your mental health. Take care for now.